if you want to do it, you got to do it. And it, you don't have to have a Yale drama or a Juilliard or even, you know, acting classes from community college on your resume. At the end of the day, what gets you work is your ability to do the work. People care that you are right for their job. People do not care that you studied at XYZ theater program. Welcome to this week's episode of Dear Actor Podcast, the podcast in which film industry professionals share their stories, mistakes, successes, and advice they would have told themselves. As always, I am your host and fellow actor, Sage May. Before I introduce our guest, here's a quick word from our sponsor. We're sponsored by the place I got all of my business of acting knowledge, the Hollywood Winner's Circle. I cannot stress this enough. If you're an actor who's just starting out or even got a little bit lost along the way, like I did, the Hollywood Winner's Circle led by Hollywood talent manager, Wendy Aline Wright, is the best thing you can do for your career. It provides a roadmap and explains everything you'll need to do to become an actor. Now our guest this week is an actor and acting teacher from Chicago who you'd know from all of the Chicago procedurals such as Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, and he's now an LA actor. So you've seen him in NCIS, Grey's Anatomy, Apple TV's For All Mankind, and so many more. He's the author of a book titled Acting in Chicago and he has an amazing blog with the same name. You don't have to be a Chicago actor to read it. It benefited me a lot and I'm a New Yorker. You also may recognize his voice as he's a voice actor and you'll see why in a moment. He's so knowledgeable about all things acting and voice acting. Please welcome Chris Agos. Hi Chris, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for asking me to be here. I appreciate you reaching out. Of course, and you have an amazing voice. You get that probably all the time because you do voiceover um <laughs> once in a while yeah. once in a while somebody will say something like that yeah <laughs> I, I i can claim no credit for it at all i think it's just genetics <laughs> yeah but thank do you, you yeah of course um would you mind talking about your setup a little bit because people who want to get into voiceovers might not know what mics to buy and you got the best one it seems <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean you know, you can easily get into voiceover these days for not a lot of money and not a lot of like fancy equipment. You know, on, at the most basic level, um, you can get started with like a hundred dollar USB mic plugged into a laptop. Uh, take the laptop into your closet and boom, suddenly you have an isolation booth. Uh, so long as you can power it and you have light in there, then that's like a cheap and dirty way of, you know, having putting together a little recording setup. Um, as you might imagine, I've been doing this a while. And after you kind of, um, you know, realize that that's good, that kind of closet setup is good for certain applications, but not others. Um, you definitely wind up upgrading to, um, a setup a little bit closer to what they might have at a broadcast facility. So, um, right now I'm speaking on a, a Sennheiser 416 shotgun mic, which is sort of like the gold standard for commercial VO. Um, uh, I've also got a, a booth that um, is like double walled. And so it blocks most of the, the noise that might come in from outside. Although I still hear, you know, like things like ambulances every once in a while, if they're close enough or leaf blowers, which are like the bane of every <laughs> voice talent's existence. Um, so yeah, you, there's the, the whole idea behind home recording, you know, is that 
in the past, you had to spend like five figures and now you just don't. I mean, even, even the setup that I have doesn't even, you know, approach the five figure setup. So um, it's great. It's, it's kind of amazing how, how much the VO business has changed over the last like five to 10 years. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, I have a dog. I have two dogs next door and they're like, they sound like humans screaming. It's like they're so loud. <laughs> so it always picks up no matter how much noise canceling I have. It's like, ah. there's always going to be something, you know, <laughs> yeah. like there's no perfect home recording setup unless you spend just, you know, yeah. ridiculous sums of money. So Absolutely. yeah, dogs, leaf blowers, noisy neighbors. It's always, it's part of the fun, you know? <laughs> it is. Um, so I'd love to talk about if you're working on anything exciting right now. And if not, that's also cool too. You know, I just had um, a nice guest star role on an episode of NCIS, which aired this week. So that was cool. Previously in the year, I think if you if you don't blink and you watch an episode of uh, Colin in Black and White on Netflix, I think that just dropped a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I show up in one of uh, one of the episodes there. Um, I do have an, another episode of a TV show that was shot and is not out yet that I can't tell you about because everybody's crazy with <laughs> everybody's crazy with NDAs this you know these days. Yeah. Um, and then I've got you know my regular voiceover stuff, which um, for me my my bread and butter are like commercials and corporate work, so industrial things. Um, being from Chicago, that's kind of uh, a, a mainstay of the work that's available there. Uh, so I have lots of repeat clients um, in in that department. So I'm always kind of working on something. But like most actors right now, I'm like sitting and waiting for my next really cool, you know, opportunity to come along. So how did you get into acting? I got into acting through the back door. I got in through voiceover. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it was it's kind of a weird um it's a weird way in. I didn't plan on this at all, but it, it turned out that, um, you know, a, a million years ago, there was only one guy really teaching voiceover in Chicago. I, I was born there. I was I grew up there. I went to school there and I decided to find him and take lessons. And that was like a brand new idea 25 years ago. Nobody did that. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, found him and stuck with him and then got going on, you know, the voiceover career a little bit. And then at a certain point, I met an agent who said, hey, do you ever do on-camera stuff? And I was like, what's that? I don't know <laughs> what that is. Tell me more. And she handed me a brochure and she's like, here, go see these people. They were, it was like literally a trifold brochure to an acting school. And <clears throat> she's like, go talk to them. They'll set you up in, in some classes because I think if you, you can probably take your voiceover skills and kind of apply them to commercials. And I can at least put you in commercials too. And I'm like, okay. So I went and I took a class and it just kind of spiraled from there. I mean, I, I just discovered that there was this whole industry that I had nothing, no knowledge of and, and really no real ambition to be in. But I knew that, you know, what I was learning in voiceover could be applied there. And before long, I was like, oh, if, if the more I learn, the more I can earn. So I may as well just keep learning. And, you know, that just kind of led to where we are today. So, um, I'd love to talk about the Chicago market, too, in general, because I think that usually as actors, we're kind of told that it's either New York or L.A. and now Atlanta. Well, I'm definitely biased because, you know, I, I spent such a long time in Chicago. But <laughs> I if I look at it objectively, I really do believe that it's I think it's one of the best cities for a young, like developing actor to be in. 
you know, the reason for that is there, there are a lot of reasons, but the main one is that it's the third largest city in the U.S. And, and so it has the production presence that you need to, in order to really learn the business. It's not quite as imposing and expensive as a New York or L.A. And what's great about Chicago is that not only does it come with all of the, the kinds of work that the business offers, but there are great schools there that are much less expensive to, uh, for, to enroll in and to st- spend time in. And, you know, the acting community there is really very great. I mean, it's, it's filled with a bunch of people who want you to do well, who are going to put you on the right path if you ask them questions. It's a good, solid Midwestern city with hardworking people. And the acting community really looks out for each other there because it is, a, a, you know, a step or two in terms of size and, and cachet behind New York and L.A., it's kind of true that they kind of, they work harder. You know, they have to make sure that all the actors there are, are up on the craft and are doing a good job because if casting comes to Chicago and the actors there sneak up the joint, they're not going to come back. <laughs> yeah. So everybody realizes that we all have to do a good job. And so it's kind of like a, a, a community where people just want you to get better. So it's, it's a common place for people to come from either smaller markets or, I mean, I've met actors who've moved to Chicago from New York just to get their footing or to get an education or to get their SAG card or to just stop there and work for a little bit, a little bit. And some end up staying and some move on to LA or New York or Atlanta. So I think it's a great place for a a young and, and developing actor to be. Yeah, I love Chicago. I've just gone for vacation, so I don't know much about the market, but I, it's beautiful there. It's so much fun. That's a great food town, too. It so. is, and I'm a foodie. It's it's great. Good. <laughs> um, so could you talk a little bit maybe about, I know you're not there anymore. Are you, You're in L.A. now, right? Right. So six years mm-hmm. ago, um, we picked up our family and we moved to L.A. Cool. Um, Would you be able to talk about maybe the shows that shoot in Chicago? Because I think people can be afraid of there not being enough going on there, but I think Mm -hmm. they just don't know. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff going on there. And to to be honest, like there was a time when I knew everything. um, And (laughs) at this point, I I think there's so much new stuff. I don't even know, you know, recognize the titles. Um, But I want to say there are at least nine shows that I know that are that are shooting. Um, of course, the the granddaddy of them all are the Dick Wolf shows. So this is uh, Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD. Um, and, you know, they really kind of kicked off this production boom uh, about 10 years ago now. I can't believe it's been 10 years, but it's been almost almost that long. And they came in and they like revamped this old steel factory. And now it's a, you know, a production hub. And um, it's essentially they built a lot. Um, and those shows are just juggernauts. So if you're an actor in Chicago, you absolutely have a, a chance at, you know, booking your first co-star or even your first guest star on one of those shows. Um, you know, I was lucky enough that I booked a recurring role. I wound up doing about 20 episodes of Chicago PD in the earlier seasons. You know, there are people there who auditioned for something and it was meant to be like a one or two episode arc and it wound up, you know, winding up being like 25, 40, 60 episodes. So you just never know with with a show like that or with a, a group of shows like that. And of course, you have other shows that have kind of come and gone, but um, Empire spent a long time there. Um, 
there, there are a couple of Showtime shows and HBO shows that are coming in. There's just a lot to do. There's enough to keep you busy. Now, the downside to being a smaller market is that like, if you're really knocking it out of the park and you wind up on all these shows, at a certain point, you don't have anything else to do, right? Because like, uh, uh, if you're going to be the bartender on PD, they're not going to hire you as the nurse on, you know, med. Yeah. Um, I want to say there's like a two or three season gap that there has to be in between your your last appearance on the show and when they bring you back. But, um, you know, the the other, the good thing about it is that the numbers just really work in your favor. Like, you know, those casting directors that cast local talent on those shows, they're not bringing in 1500 people, you know, they're not getting 1500 submissions for, you know, the cop or the teacher or whatever they're getting, you know, a, a fair amount, but they're only going to bring in five or four. So you're, your odds are actually better booking a show in a regional market like Chicago or Atlanta than it is in LA or New York. Totally. That's what's exciting about it. Right. (laughs) So you said you had that cool recurring role on Chicago PD. Um, I'd love to hear about what that audition was like, if you remember it. (laughs) I do remember it. Um, I remember that Mark Tinker was the director of that episode and he was in the room. Um, and it was a very brief little scene. I think I had like three or four lines and, uh, Mark is a great guy. I, I didn't really know who he was, but he has a very long, like storied history in television. Um, and even today is, is still out there directing, um, and was with PD for, I think the first four seasons. So I, I auditioned, I want to say the, for like episode two or three, uh, of season two. And I went and I did the scene and he didn't redirect me or anything. He literally nodded his head and said, thanks. And I was like, well, didn't get that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Yeah. Walked out and was like, okay, you know, my philosophy is I always give myself like five minutes to think about my audition uh, after I leave. And then I forget about it because really it just doesn't make sense to beat yourself up over something that's already happened that you can't change. So I thought about it for a little bit and I went over it in my mind and I was like, you know, I, I don't know, I feel like I did okay. I did what the script said and I brought an idea to the table and that's our job, right? So it's just down to if I fit what he had in his brain or not. And it turns out that, you know, he did. And that one episode turned into three episodes, I think. And then the character went away for a little bit. Um, and we made plans to move to Los Angeles. Um And then two weeks before our moving truck arrived, they called back and said, hey, we got another four episodes for you. And I was like, oh, well, that changes things a little (laughs) bit because I'm no longer a resident of Chicago. (laughs) So we had to work out a deal where they would fly me back and forth if they wanted me to continue working because I was like, look, I love you guys. And I'm so grateful that you're coming, you know, that you want me to come back and I want to come back, uh, but I'm not going to like. I'm not going to fly myself and go into debt for your show. Like at that point I was, you know, earning scale and it was just, it just didn't make sense. So my agent explained the whole thing to them and they were like, sure, we'll, we'll just travel them. So I got very, very lucky um, in that regard. And for the rest of my time there, um, they just, I just flew back and forth. That is so cool. How that evolved yeah. that way. That's yeah. like the dream. Cause you just got to like, visit hometown for 
for free. So I cool. know it was like it was great in in that respect. It was great. On in the other respect, it really killed my availability in L.A. So I was like brand new in town, and yet every you know every two weeks I was gone for ten days, or I was gone for six days, or something, and so. That was kind of frustrating, but at the same time, you, I really couldn't complain because I was working. So, um, so it was all, it was all good. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. so I'd love to go back to the voiceover, um, yeah. stuff sure. again. How can actors get into voiceover with no experience? And you started there. So would you recommend starting there? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really, um, like, I don't know that I would recommend, you know, hey, if you want to be an actor, start out as a voice talent. I, I don't really, I think I, I did it wrong, you know. <laughs> um, so I don't think I would say that. But I would say that voiceover is definitely a tool in the old actor tool belt that you should um, take out and investigate if it could work for you. Because like I said, the startup costs uh, nowadays are very low. Um, and it, it is important to get training. And so that's kind of, the the way you you get in is through is through your training. I do have to step back just a little bit though and just kind of say that you know the world of voiceover is huge. It 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 has a lot of different little pockets within it. Um, and all of them are very different. They have different audiences, they have different players, they're different markers, uh, markets altogether. So like if you said, you know, I want to get into voiceover, well I would say, well, what kind of voiceover do you mean? Because, you know, it's very different if you want to do character voices on an animated TV show versus, you know, I want to air, I want to narrate audiobooks. Those are totally different disciplines. So um, I guess you have to kind of narrow down, you know, what it is that you want to do. And then, you know, you really need to get a couple of very basic materials together. One of those things is a, is a microphone that is separate from the one on your phone. Um, it's gotta be like a USB mic or something that just plugs right into a computer and allows you to have, um, you know, just a little higher quality recording than what you're going to, to get from an iPad or, or, or an Android phone. And then you need to know what you're doing. You need to be introduced to, you know, the whole, the, whatever pocket of the business you're interested in, you need to kind of understand, you know, what makes a, a, a good voice actor in that discipline you know a lot of people think it's like well you know i i announce football games at at my high school or i read every sunday in my church or saturday in my temple or whatever and so i'm used to public speaking and i can read well and i and people say and i have a nice voice and that's really uh you know okay but that's not what voiceover is um there was a time when having a nice voice was like integral to having a voiceover career that's no longer the case. So I would say that once you have your, you know, your very, very basic level equipment, then you need a very basic level sort of introduction to how that part of the business that you're interested in, how it works and what your responsibilities are as a voice actor in that part of the business. Um, and you, you really only get that through, through training. So what are your training options? Well, I mean, online, there's a ton of options. Um, a lot of classes have started, you know, meeting in person again at, at recording studios. I wrote a book that you can start with. It's a very inexpensive way to get a big, a big picture overview of the business and mm-hmm. how to get started and what you need. 
you know, there are just, there's always an acting school somewhere in a market or a community theater somewhere. If you don't have an acting school nearby, that will probably bring people in if they don't actually have their own uh, voiceover faculty. So I just, I just think you need a little bit of equipment. You need a little bit of knowledge and then it's kind of off to the races. Um, so you said that voiceover actors need to find their niche when it comes to voiceovers. Um, how would you go about figuring that out? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you want to start with whatever it is that you want to do, right? So uh, if you want to be you know, a character voice extraordinaire, you want to do all the funny voices, <laughs> then, you know, that's probably where you should start. You're probably not going to be the person that um, develops a, a niche doing, you know, f uh, pharmaceutical commercials, right? Because that's a different thing altogether. So, you know, start with what's really interesting to you and investigate that. And then you, I think you do want to ask the question, okay, now that I have a bit of a, an idea of what's involved in that, what else is out there and what can I apply to my own situation? What, what can I make work for me? Because like animation is really great, but the vast majority of it happens in Los Angeles. So if you're not there, it's maybe, it's going to be tougher for you to pursue that. Um, yes, we can dial in and the internet connects us from long distances, but LA is still very much a market where they like to know that you're there. They like to, they, they feel good about the fact that they can pick up the phone and call you or send you an email and you can get in your car and go to a studio and, you know, within a half hour, be there and do a job. So <clears throat> it's not to say that you can't do it from anywhere in the country, but, but it's just harder. Yeah. So if animation really is your thing, but you don't want to move to L.A., then, you know, you might want to look into other areas of the business. There's commercials, there's audiobooks, there's, um, you know, corporate narration. We call that industrial narration. There's uh, radio ID. There's all kinds of different things that you can kind of specialize in. So that's what I mean when I say that the 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 voiceover industry is very broad. And it's hard to like give one piece of advice when somebody says, hey, how do I get into voiceover? Uh, you really kind of have to know what that person really wants to do before you can uh, dispense some, you know, some advice that will actually work for them. So how did you figure out what your niche is? I think it just happened over time. You know, back when I got started, it, it really was a very local profession. Um, Chicago, you know, the Chicago market just hired Chicago people. And so I did what was available there. And that was commercials, and radio and TV, um, and a lot of corporate work. Uh, and it just so happened that I, for some reason, had uh, a knack for saying big scientific words. So I do, <laughs> I do a lot of like, um, medical narration and pharmaceutical stuff. Mm -hmm. And things like that. Uh, some people are comfortable with like tech. I, that's not me. I don't do, I don't work for like, you know, cloud software companies and stuff. I do the medicine, the medical stuff. So um, yeah, it's just, I, I just kind of discovered that as I worked. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, big medical word? If you, if you have it <laughs> off your head. I don't think, I don't think I have a word, but um, I did a project once for uh 
an, an erectile dysfunction drug. <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of times I had to say the word penis with a straight face <laughs> yeah. in like a four hour period. It was <laughs> unbelievable. The, the middle schooler in me was dying yeah. inside constantly. Uh, but of course, you know, for the client, it was like, none of that is funny. It's all, you know, very serious. Yes. And, yeah. So once in a while, you, you you do run across stuff like that. So do you do um do you ever have to do any with like the millions of side effects? Yeah. So that's called fair balance. So when you hear that, um, fair balance is a concept. It's actually a federal law. Uh, if an advertiser, a, a drug company, is going to advertise a drug and they're going to spend sixty seconds on the spot, um, they have to spend thirty seconds of that talking about the side effects. That's so interesting. Uh, so that's why uh, most drug companies will will produce spots that are like two minutes long. And, you know, you'll have an opening of like seeing the person kind of in pain or, you know, doing something. And there's some commentary about like the condition and the symptoms and everything. And then there's this turn where the person, you know, discovered the drug and feels better, right? And then there's like this break and you'll you'll hear a different voice altogether come in and do all of the, the legal stuff, right? So that's fair balance and that's a requirement in all drug commercials. Um, and so I do, I, I've done a fair amount of that. I don't have any anything running at the moment, but Chicago is also a, a, a big hub for that kind of advertising. So I did a lot of fair balance that in the past. That's so cool. So that that's so interesting. I never knew that. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty cool like little niche to 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 get because those drug commercials run for a long time and they're all union and the residuals are great. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so how do you talk that fast at the end? Because it's always like a million side effects at you like so fast. Do they speed that up or is that you? So it, you're kind of talking about two different things. So <laughs> once in a while, so the fair balance yeah. literally cannot be electronically sped up. And the drug, the drug companies don't want to seem like they're trying to blow past all of these side effects. So if you're talking about the guy or the girl who comes on in the middle of the spot, but if you're talking about the stuff at the end of the spot that is kind of digitally sped up, that's called legal. And that's where um, you've got you've got all the like the legal disclaimers and stuff that come in at the end. That's allowed to be electronically sped up. And often it is, although there are plenty of people who like have made a career out of speaking that quickly. Yeah. Um, and here's a tip. Actually, if you ever find yourself having to do legal, all you have to do is cut your projection and you'll be able to move a lot faster through copy. So um, if you're speaking, you know, way up up in your projection, you're kind of you know, going a little louder, it's a lot harder to go faster. So you just kind of drop everything down and suddenly everything can be really quick. That is such an interesting tip. Yeah. Wow, cool. I'm going to use that if I ever have an audition like that. <laughs> definitely comes in handy. So cool. Since everything is so crazy with COVID right now, um, what does a voiceover audition look like these days in the new kind of world we're in? <laughs> well, the funny thing is that it looks the same as it did two years ago or three years ago or five years ago. Um, the voiceover industry was the first entertainment industry to embrace working from home. So 10 years ago, you know, it was very common for voice actors to go into their agent's office or into an ad agency and physically, you know, go to somewhere and read uh, some copy for their audition. That happens 
almost never now. I mean, it still happens, but it's it really has become a home based business. So uh, an audition, you know, starts with uh, a client that contacts an agent and says, "Hey, we, you know, we're looking for we need to hear thirty, you know, women in their twenties for this spot, um, all ethnicities. So just you know, give us twenty of your best people." And then the agent goes through and she kind of picks out her people and then she will put together an email with the, with the audition copy and send it out to all of them. And so we get that. Uh, I open it up. I have a, uh, well, I wouldn't because I'm not a 20 something. You know what I, you know what I mean? <laughs> I would. Um, yeah, you would, you would get that and you would open it up and you would see that there was a, you know, a script and there were hopefully something, another document like that would explain what it is that they're kind of looking for in the voice. We call those the specs. Um, there might be like uh, a storyboard, or maybe if they've shot the spot already, you might see stills from the shot um, from the commercial to just, you know, see to give you an idea of what it is that you're uh, that, that you're going to be voicing over. And then you just read it uh, and you turn it in um, before your deadline, and you forget about it. So that's kind of how how the audition process works these days. Everything comes. Uh, online, everything's submitted online. You know, most uh, most jobs nowadays are done. If you book the job, you wind up, you know, recording from home in in a lot of cases. So it 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 was it was funny because like I used to really love going into my agent's office and chatting in the waiting room with everybody there, and you know, and I I really miss those days. Uh, but I haven't seen another voice actor in forever because. You know, we're just all like connecting via Source Connect or um, or something else, you know, and we're all in our little home studios. So um, it's a it's a strange place to be after seeing it, you know, from where it was to where it is now. Is there like a place like like Actors Access where you can self submit for voiceover stuff if you don't have an agent or something? Yeah, um, Actors Access is not the place for that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a couple of voiceover membership sites uh, out there, and if you if you Google them, uh, you'll find them. You just have to you know Google like uh, you know voiceover memberships or voiceover auditions or whatever, and you'll find them there. Um, and they work a little differently. They they don't work the same way as a traditional agent you know relationship would. Um, it's a little bit more of a uh, of a crapshoot. Um, and you, you, I think you can get some profiles up on there and you kind of try to do your best to describe your voice and the kind of work that you're looking to do. Um, and then an algorithm kind of matches up your responses with available auditions. Um, most of them, those membership sites will, you know, will have a cost associated with them. If it's, if it's not up front, um, as in like a monthly membership, then, they may decide they may work in a different way where they take, you know, once you book a job, they might take like a percentage of your earnings. Um, so you just kind of have to do a little research on that on your own and, and um, check them out because there's plenty, like the voiceover community is very large online and there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, and there's plenty to, to find out about those things there. Awesome. Um, so like I said at the beginning, I love your blog. Um, so <laughs> Thanks. yeah, of course you have some awesome articles on there. Everyone to check it out. I'm going to link it in the description. Um, so I'd love 
if you'd share the Ten Commandments of getting booked again and again? Yeah, it's um, it's so funny. I sat down and I wrote this thing uh, after having an experience on a set, um, and I just really thought like some things needed to be said, even though they shouldn't have to be said. So uh, this is a couple years old, actually, but it actually still all applies for sure. I so I'll just so. kind of yeah, I'll just go kind of quickly through them. Um, uh, the first commandment is thou shalt arrive prepared. <laughs> uh, and I really don't think that, you know, needs much explanation. Um, I think it's, I forget who it is. It might be Tom Hanks or someone who says our job is to just show up on time, know our lines and have an idea. Right. And so long as you do that, you're doing your job. If you don't do that, then you are clogging up the machine and you never want to be that actor that clogs the machine. Um, so that's number one. Number two is thou shalt be attentive and observant. And by that, I mean, you know, don't make people ask you for things twice. Uh, if you're in the middle of a conversation and you hear that it's time for first team rehearsal, you got to go to set, you know, excuse yourself from that conversation and go do that thing. Um, you're there to work. And even though it is sometimes like a really fun environment, you're not there to have fun. You're there to um, make sure that the production can keep on schedule. So uh, be attentive and be observant and, and understand that um, when somebody needs you for something, you're Johnny on the spot. You just get there. Um, number three is thou shalt not chat. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's funny because actors are uh, known for being personable and outgoing and fun to be around. And some actors like to show that side of their personality in the hopes that they will befriend people on set or make themselves so incredibly endearing that they're brought back for another episode. And I'm just here to tell you that literally no one is paying attention to you. Um, everybody is there to do a job. It's just another day at work for them. And uh, I just think you need to kind of not, that's not the point of being there. It's not to show people how, how fun to be around you are. Uh, it's to, you know, show up and, and do the work. So that's, that's number three. Uh, thou shalt not direct other actors. Uh, this is also a big one. Um, it is not your job to give your castmates anything in the, in the way of direction. It's not your job to tell them they've missed their mark, that they missed a line, that, um, you know, that something has changed in the script that they don't seem to be aware of. It is not your job to direct. If you have a problem, you mention it to the director, you know, and, and that's their job. So I once worked with an actor, um, great guy, and he uh, got some kind of direction or something from one of the co-stars on set. And he was a right, he was a series regular. And I, he looked at the guy and he was like, stop directing me. And the guy, the, the co-star was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And <laughs> his response was, that's okay. I'm being nice to you. I used to say, stop fucking directing oh. me. And, but now I just say, stop directing me. So it's, you know, it's interesting. Like people really, you really just have to know your job. And in the theater, it's maybe okay for you to say like, hey man, you dropped this line. Can you just hold off until, you know, don't come in until I say this line yeah. or whatever. But that is a no-no on a TV or film yeah, set. So and just there's a director don't do that. for a reason. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and equally important is number five, which is thou shalt not improvise. It is 
uh, it's amazing to me that actors think that the scripts are flexible um, because they're not. And the reason they're not is because they have gone through layers and layers of rewrites um, and creative and legal evaluations and actors are not hired for that. We are hired to say the words that are written on the page. So um, I, I do think an honest mistake once in a while is okay. Like if you say a word and it's supposed to be another word or you're paraphrasing a little bit because you truly don't know, well, you have to go back to, you know, commandment number one, which is be prepared. But that's different than thinking that you can do something or add something that isn't there. Uh, that's not our job. Now, the one caveat I'll say to that is if you wound up doing something kind of wild and crazy in your audition and it it was the thing that got you the job, then by all means, you can think about doing that thing at on set. But you need to have that cleared first. You need to ask the director and see if that's okay. Because if you make them laugh, honestly, that's you know often why you get the job. Um, but they may not want you to do that thing on the day. So you just gotta, gotta ask before you do that. So number six is thou shalt act like you've been there before. And I think this goes out to people who maybe it's your first time or your second time and you're still kind of starstruck by the whole thing, right? It's the whole, you know, oh my God, I'm on a movie set. This is Hollywood. This is a big deal. It's, it's probably a big deal for you. It, it, but, you know, if for everybody else, it's just another day at work and, and having like a really, you know, chirpy way about you and being excited is just going to make people like roll their eyes at you. And it's going to mark you as someone who is new and who maybe doesn't quite get it. And you don't want to be that person. So just kind of be chill and laid back and understand, you know, that your job is to do what you're told. And, you know, just be an observer. You don't have to be a participant in, in all of this. Um, and please do not chat up the big name stars or the series regulars. Don't walk up to them at lunch and be like, hey, man, I love your work. I'm so excited to be working with you today. What I do is if, if ever I'm working with somebody like that, I make it a point to say hello during rehearsal if I'm in the scene with them. I mean, if you don't do that, you just look like kind of a, a rotten human. So I say hello. And then I totally back off and I let them take the lead. And if they approach me and they want to chat, yeah, I'll chat. But I'm not going to initiate the conversation. So um, number seven, thou shalt listen. And the reason I put that one on there is because every single person on that set knows more about that project than you do. Every single one. So the ADs, the DP, the PAs, the grips, anybody who's been there longer than you knows more than you, and you just need to listen to all of them. So I wouldn't ever come into a set assuming anything. Just follow everybody's directions because they're only looking out to, to make sure that the job goes as smoothly as possible. And you just want to be contributing to that. You don't want to be holding anything back. This has become actually more important recently than it was even when I wrote this. But number eight is thou shalt leave your damn phone in your trailer. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I tell you, when I wrote this, the whole um, NDA, you know, non-disclosure agreement uh, thing hasn't, didn't quite, it had started, but it wasn't quite the tidal wave that it, we've reached now. It's like a tsunami of NDAs. You can't audition for things almost without signing an NDA. So Content creators are just very protective of their digital assets, and that includes photographs, recordings, whatever. If you're on a TV show, you're going to see the regulars have their phone. 
but the smart co-stars and guest stars do not bring phones to set. And that's because you never want to be that person that's like accused if there's a leak of being the leak. So if you don't bring your, your phone to set, it's a non-issue. Um, but also it's just kind of the mark of someone who, you know, is not really there to be a team player. If you're buried in your phone, you know, like everybody is, is there to do a job. We're all kind of on the same team, but your phone isolates you. It, it means that you think whatever's going on in your world is more important than what's going on in the job. And I just think that's bad form. So I tell people do not bring your phone to set. Uh, number nine, thou shalt not say, I'm sorry. Not even once, not even once. If you make a mistake, you just never apologize. Uh, you simply, you know, and the reason for that is because you may make a mistake that is an actual real mistake, but you also might just be extra hard on yourself in that moment. And by saying, I'm sorry, that puts the other person, whether that's the director or your scene partner or whoever, it forces them to think about excusing you. It forces them to suddenly put their attention on you and, you know, have to evaluate in a split second is what she did. Was that really wrong? Am I supposed to do what she did or what? And it just complicates things. So I just, if you make a mistake, you just, just ask, how can I do that better? You know, if some, somebody will tell you if they're making a mistake, but just don't apologize. Um, nobody has time for it. And then I think the last one, uh, number 10, is probably the most important one. They're all important, but I really like this one. Thou shalt ask for permission for everything. So I look at being on a set as like being in third grade. You know, there's, there's 20 to 30 other students. There's a mountain of stuff to get done. And, you know, there's a limited amount of time to do it. And the teacher who has planned out the lesson plan for the day needs the cooperation of the class to get it all done. Okay, so actors are one of those third graders, right? You, you may not leave your class to go to the bathroom without permission. You may not, you know, work on something else like, you know, tweeting or Instagram or anything while the class is doing an art project. You, you, you have no control of the, over the schedule or the agenda or the curriculum. You, you have no control, right? So just roll with it. Just, just don't be that person who like is pestering of anyone. Um, and, and just make sure like, if you really do need something, just ask again, don't assume anything. Um, production is a really expensive, complicated business. Decision makers do everything they can to remove as much risk from that process as they can. And when they hire someone new, someone who they don't know, you are a risk. So just make sure that you're not going to present them with any additional risk. That's kind of how I look at it. So cool. Everyone should print those out. <laughs> Bring them to set with you. Good. <laughs> but leave good. them in your trailer before you actually get there. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Leave them for your next guest star, yes. right? <laughs> awesome. So cool. I love those. Um, so this is the last question. Um, everyone gets this one last. What would you have told yourself when you were starting out? It's a hard question. I, I, I knew so little when I was starting out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but I think, I think the main thing I started when I was in, I was still in college. I was, uh, you know, I think I was like 20. Um, and I had a lot of reservations and I hesitated a lot about like pursuing this whole thing. 
because of my perception of um, how important uh, an education would be. So like when you're in college and you're, and you're that young, your entire life revolves around school, right? You have this big complicated application process for college and you have to choose a major and this and that, right? Well, I was not a theater major. I did not go to a school that had a big fancy theater program. And I thought that all actors, you know, needed to go to college for acting um, and they needed to, to have, you know, years and years of study before they could even set foot on a stage professionally or in front of a camera or anything. And so that, that got in the way of my pursuing this quite a bit. I just thought I couldn't do it because I didn't do the things that I needed to do in order to open the doors, right? And I think what I would tell myself is, uh, don't worry about it because nobody cares where you got your training. Um, there's, you know, literally in the 20 some odd years I've been doing this, I have never been asked about my education. So whereas I hear a, a lot of college age or high school age kids who want to get into acting, who, who want to start their career, but they're like, you know, I, 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 I'm a psychology major or, um, you know, I don't have the money to go to college or whatever. I, that just doesn't matter. If you want to do it, you got to do it. And it, you don't have to have a Yale drama or a Juilliard or even, you know, acting classes from community college on your resume. At the end of the day, what gets you work is your ability to do the work. People care that you are right for their job. People do not care that you studied at XYZ theater program. And I didn't know that. So I think I would probably have worried about that a whole lot less uh, if I could talk to that kid uh, today. Awesome. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Chris. Oh, you're welcome very much. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to give the podcast a rate on whatever platform you're listening on. And as always, you can email us at dearactorpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at dearactorpodcast. I'll see you next week with our next guest.